If you have your Bibles this morning, would you open them to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We're still in a series, although it's overall called Sermons I've Wanted to Preach, it's a sub-series called Committed to Worship, and we're working our way through Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be continuing to work our way through even after this Sunday. I want to open up by telling you about William Tyndale. This was a remarkable, remarkable man who was committed to worshiping God. Now, I want you to listen to this as his story unfolds partly at the beginning of this sermon, and I'm going to wrap it up towards the end, the rest of his story. William Tyndale placed himself fully on the altar of God as a living sacrifice, exclusively God's extraordinarily pleasing to him. He was faithful. He was a faithful minister of God. You know what? He was deep in the knowledge of the scriptures. And his mind, according to his friend John Fox, who wrote Fox's Book of Martyrs, John Fox says that Tyndale's mind, I love this, was singularly addicted to the word of God. His life was said to live out scriptures so closely that they were one and the same, and he gained a reputation of an unspotted life. Friends, if you're holding in your hands a Bible written in English, then you owe that to this man of God that God raised up and translated the scriptures from the English, from the original languages. There were no English Bible translations in his day. And this prevented the common person from reading and studying and meditating on the word of God. So Tyndale, he began to instruct both scholar and layperson alike, and the knowledge of the scripture from a reformer's perspective. And this attracted the ire and the animosity of the Catholic Church. In fact, when speaking with a scholar from the Catholic Church on one occasion, Tyndale refuted him from the word of God so soundly that the man blurted out, we were better to be without God's laws than the Pope's. And Tyndale could not even contain himself. He responded, I defy the Pope and all his laws. He went on to say to that very scholar that if God were to spare his life, then the boys that plow the fields in England would know the word of God better than him, the scholar himself. What a life. What boldness. What a remarkably committed to worship man Tyndale was. We've been learning that if we're going to be committed to worship and living a life of worship, it's going to require change. That's what we've been learning all through Romans chapter 12. Now, if you have Romans 12 open, I want to highlight some of the things. I'm going to do a crash course review because I know some of you weren't here when we did this. You ready? Romans 12, look at verse 1. Here's what we read. Here's what we've studied. Paul writes, I appeal to you. In other words, I beg you, I implore you, I am pleading with you. God is pleading through Paul. God's the author. He's inspiring Paul to write the holy, inerrant word of God. God's appealing to you, therefore, brothers. He's appealing, he's pleading us, Christians, if you are in Christ. Just as well as the Roman believers at the time. And he says, by the mercies of God. Friends, listen. 
Do you know the mercies of God? Do you know how kind God is to you? How gentle, how good, how gracious, how much of you He loves? All the mercies of God, Romans 1-11, through Paul's saying, because of those mercies, I'm pleading with you for what? Look what it says. To present your bodies. Hey, if I were a priest in the Old Testament, I'd take your lamb, men, that you bring to the temple to sacrifice for the sins of your family. If I'm your priest, and you slit the throat of that lamb, and I capture its blood and I pass it up and pour it behind the altar, if I'm your priest and I take the the carcass of that lamb and I place it on the burning altar, that's the word I would have said, present in Hebrew. It means to take your bodies, not just flesh, all of who we are, present it, place it on God's altar as a living sacrifice. How? Holy. You know what that means? It means to be set apart exclusively for God. That's what the word holy means. It means I'm set apart, God. I want to place all of who I am on the altar and I want to live exclusively for you. And you know what God says to you and I when we do that? It's right here. The English word is that's acceptable sacrifice. The Greek word, that's extraordinarily pleasing. Friends, we are extraordinarily pleasing to God. Don't you want God to smile on your life? Doesn't something resonate in your soul to think of God being extraordinarily pleased with the way that you live? When we commit to worship fully, placing ourselves exclusively at God's disposal for your purposes, God says, that is so pleasing to me. And it's our spiritual worship. You remember that word spiritual, logical, reasonable, makes sense? It's the only worship that makes sense when God's given us everything. Nothing, nothing was beheld to us. Not even the life of his son. How could we hold and reserve anything from God when he's given us all of them? It's the only worship that makes sense. But friends, I got to tell you, what we have learned more than anything in this series is that that worship means service. You want to be totally committed to God, then don't sing, just, just don't sing louder on Sunday mornings. Just don't break into psalms when you're washing your dishes. That's all part of worship. But if you really want to live a committed life to worship, then get busy serving God. That's what committed to worship really means. And we found out you've got to make changes. Friends, listen, we cannot continue the way we've been going if we're going to commit ourselves fully to God. There's got to be there's got to be changes. And one change is we can't conform to the world. In other words, we can't let the world, verse 2, squeeze us into its mold. You know what the mold of the, the world is? It's opposing and antagonistic to God. And friends, Christians who let the world 
feed into their thinking. Christians who live after the pattern of this world live in a God-opposing, antagonistic, I want to live my life the way I want to live it way. It's the absolute opposite of committed service. I'm on the throne, God. You exist to give me my wishes. We've got to change. And that's going to be radical for some of us, for many of us. But there's another change, and we saw it last week. We've got to renew our mind because it's the only, the only way. Friends, I don't know any other way. Maybe I'm wrong. But I honestly don't know any other way in Scripture by which we can be transformed other than the renewing of the mind. My mind is deceptive. I like to think that you owe me rather than I'm in debt to you. That's what love is. And my mind likes to twist and it likes to squirm and it likes to say, God, I don't really think that's what you want me to do really because it's not very comfortable to do it. But when my mind is renewed and my thoughts are held up to the Word of God. And every day I'm meditating, hiding it in my heart. I'm chewing on it. I'm reading it. I'm studying it. The Word of God takes, the Word of God takes my mind and it drives the truth to my heart where the Spirit of God changes it. And the Bible says, above all else, guard your hearts for from it flow the issues of life. You want to change life? You've got to have a changed heart. You want to change heart? Your mind's got to change. Your mind's only going to change when the word of God renews it, when you get busy studying it. That's the change. If we're going to live committed lives to worship and serving God, then these changes have to take place. But we're going to go on and we're going to see there's a whole world of exciting life that lays on the other side of transformation. Look what Paul says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What do we learn? Well, first, we learn that a mind being renewed, which happens when we are faithfully every day, like the psalmist says, meditating on the word of God, and we will be like a tree planted by streams of water in which the leaves do not wither. And every season it bears fruit. If we're going to be renewing our mind, we're going to discover a purpose for living. We're going to discover a purpose for living. Friends, that little phrase, the will of God, is packed with truth. And I'm going to ask you to drive this into your mind. You ready? Here we go. The will of God, the fact that God has a will for us, is remarkably simple and extraordinarily profound. God has a reason that he created you. Come on, God wouldn't have a will for you if he didn't have a purpose for you. The fact that he has a will for us means that he created us with a purpose. There are no accidents. There are no mistakes, regardless of what happened with your mom and dad. Our lives are given a distinct and unique purpose that fits in with God's plans and God's desires, but what does it mean, the will of God? Come on, we all think about this. 
There's not one person here that has not tried to define, God, what is your will for my life? There's two main meanings in Scripture when it comes to the will of God. Here we go. You ready? First, it means God's sovereign will or God's will of decree if you're a theologian. What does that mean? It means it's God's sovereign plan which cannot be broken and always comes to pass. That's God's sovereign will. If it never, if it sometimes did not come to pass, it could not be sovereign. We can't always know God's sovereign will until it comes to pass. So if you want to know what's going to come to pass, what, what's going to come to pass ahead of time, Lord, what career should I be in in five years? You're not asking for a renewed mind. You're simply asking for a crystal ball. It doesn't work that way. God's sovereign will reveals itself as it unfolds in our lives. Second in scripture is God's will of command. Now listen, this is so important. This is simply what God commands us to do and what he commands us not to do. And it's clearly revealed in scripture. If you want to know God's will of command, here's your source. This is where God reveals it. Now, there's a third way that a majority of Christians define the will of God, and it's God's specific will for me, which is what I'm thinking about when I ask God to reveal to me or I'm trying to find his will in this situation. We're used to thinking that knowing the will of God is to receive specific directions for choices that we need to make. So here we are, we've got many Christians who suppose that the Bible exists to give them detailed instructions concerning what job to take, who to marry, where they should live, how they should spend their vacation. Should I buy this house? Should I invest in these stocks? How many children should we have? Which of these three colleges do I want to attend? God, which one do you want me to attend? See, life is full of crossroads, isn't it? You know that intersections where there's more than one way to take and they're not usually clearly marked. And because so many, now listen, because so many Christians are looking so specifically for this third meaning of the will of God, they're almost paralyzed when their lives come to an intersection where there's a lot of options available. Does God ever answer with specific details? At times, but that's not the norm. And friends, listen, that's not what Romans 12, 2 is talking about. He's calling us to worship by committing fully to serving him, his will that is made clear to us through his word, which is renewing our minds as we read and study it day by day and transforming us to both see it and want it, the will of God. The will of God here, Romans 12, 2, is what he reveals through his word as it renews our minds and the transformational effect it has on the way we live. That's what is all through scripture. Romans, or I mean rather Proverbs 3, that very familiar passage that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
and lean not on your own understanding. Now, listen, I've used this to help teenagers know what specific choice they need to make. And I was using it wrong. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Is there a yearning after God, a trusting in Him? And do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge. You know what that word means in Hebrew? It means to live out your knowledge of God. In all your ways, live out your knowledge of God. And look what's going to happen. He's going to make your path straight. You see, what Solomon is saying in Proverbs is don't sit down at your intersection and wait for the banner from God to float across the sky telling you take this path. Trust in the Lord. Live out your knowledge of what is good, pleasing, acceptable, and get moving. That's what he's saying. Teach me to do your will, the psalmist says. God, you've got to teach me how to do, not what your will is, how to do your will. For you are my God, and look what happens. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. God will lead the Christian whose mind is being renewed and can know from the word of God what is good, pleasing, and perfect. Not only does the phrase, the will of God, tell us that God has a will for us. Look what else it does. God's will reveals that I exist, you exist to serve him. How utterly profound and simple that is. Let me ask. Be brave. Does that fundamental conviction and excitement course through your life. I exist, God, to serve you. Is that exciting to you? See, the Apostle Paul, he's closing the loop in what he started in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, with that appeal. See, he's asking us, place your lives at God's altar exclusively for his purposes. And that's reasonable given all that God has done for you because we're his servants. He's our master, our sovereign king. And worship is now a life of obedience to God's will. Now, friends, listen. How many of you have ever defined, no hands, have ever defined worship as a an exciting life of obedience to God's will. And not only defined it that way in your minds, but had the renewing of the word of God drive it, power it to your heart so that you wake up in the morning going, God, this is great. What do you have for me today? Because I'm going to come to those intersections and I can't wait to, to study and discern which one's good and pleasing and perfect to you because that's the one I'm going to walk. So you find a coworker whose car broke down that morning and doesn't have the money to fix it, and you're at a crossroads. Do you really trust that God can enable you to give financially to that coworker and still provide for your bills? In this economic crisis of our time, is it good, pleasing, and perfect that you then provide? Or should you stay quiet even though you have the means? Do you see the crossroads are everywhere? 
And if you're going to sit down and wait for God to speak from a cloud, you're going to be paralyzed in immobility because he's already told you and I clearly through his word, this is the way you live. This is the way it's good and pleasing and perfect. We exist to serve him, but we also, the word of God, the will of God tells us we've got a responsibility to live out God's will. Friends, we are responsible We will be held accountable one day before Christ. How well we live out his will. Maybe you don't know. Honestly, most people don't. Why you're here on earth. Why God created you. Can I tell you at least some of the answer? Well, aren't you audacious, Pastor Tim? I'm just going to tell you the word. The scriptures. It's clear. Ephesians 2. Paul says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to what? To do good works. That's why you're recreated in Christ. Friends, listen, you want to know the will of God for your life. It's to live out your recreation in Christ in the same way Jesus lives and do good works, which God already prepared. God recreated us and prepared already before the foundations of this world were laid what he wanted us to do, the good works he wanted us to perform. We're new creations because of his grace and we've got a purpose in life. And that purpose is to serve him by doing the good works that God wills. We live out the will of God in our lives when we do what we've been created to do. And friends, what we're going to see in a moment, there's no higher, there's no more satisfying life possible. This is worship. But there's more to this than what I've told you. Not only are we being transformed, or not only is our minds being renewed to discover a purpose for living, our minds are being renewed so that we can live and love God's will. Look what he says, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. How many of you have heard of George Mueller? Oh, friends, get on the internet. All of his biographical stuff is on there. This guy was phenomenal. Here's what George Mueller said. He ran an orphanage. Hundreds and hundreds of kids prayed to receive and did receive thousands and thousands in today's currency, millions of dollars from people to support the work. Here's what George Mueller said. He said, I seek at the beginning of the day to get, I love this, to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. Isn't that incredible? He empties his will of his will. That's just phenomenal. He's at a crossroads. He's at an intersection. And the world wants to say, do what you want to do. But that's opposition to God. Because the Bible says, conform to him, to his standards, live out your salvation, so you do when you come to these crossroads, what God wants you to do. So Mueller empties his heart of his will, and he says this, nine-tenths of the trouble with people generally is just here. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will. You know what he's saying? Here's the problem. Not that we don't know how to live. We don't want to live the way we know we ought to do. That's the problem. 
And this is what Paul is saying with testing, you may discern. You know what that is? It's one Greek word that all that comes from. And it means to try something and prove its reliability, prove its value, live it out and prove its value. That's what it means. In fact, in secular Greek, this word was, was used to describe how they would test metal to see if, uh, by fire to see if it was pure or not, valuable. In fact, it's the same word that was found in an early manuscript of an examining board who tested those who were wanting to be granted a degree of doctor of medicine. If you want to be a doctor of medicine, then you've got to intern. And during that intern process, when you did well, you were approved and given your license to practice. In short, it means test and approve, live and love the will of God. It means to explore. It means to investigate. It means to determine to act out what is the will of God. That's what this means. To test and approve is to try out, live out what God has told us in his word. And as we do, friends, listen, as we do, not when we're sitting and dive, which is fantastic, Not when we're sitting there reading the latest book from Hackman's, which is fantastic, but when we live it out, we'll see how good it is and our hearts will approve of it. That's what that means. Friends, it means that the mind must be renewed and not conform to this world because the world lives in opposition to God. Our minds need to be renewed and to live and love God's will no matter what the circumstance we find ourselves in. Friends, the greatest struggle for most of us is the want to, to do God's will. Testing and then proving it is of the reliability and trustworthy of something by trying it out and passes the test, we begin to approve and appreciate it. That's precisely what Jesus is saying in John chapter 7. If anyone's will is to do God's will. Isn't that weird language? In other words, listen, if you've got the want to, to do what God wants you to do, look what he says. He will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my authority. Friends, if you're at a crossroads and you're sitting there waiting for the banner to fly across the sky, you're not approaching the will of God right. Get up, find out what's good and pleasing and perfect to God. Make sure your heart wants to do the will of God and get moving and live it out. That's what God's saying. That's why Ray Stedman, pastor, would say you will discover that when you have put God in his rightful place and you are willing to do his will, this in itself is the will of God. That's God's will. It's to have those who are so fully committed, totally committed, placing themselves on the altar that we want to do God's will. And friends, listen, now he's got you where he wants you and he's going to use you for his purposes. But there's one more point that I want to make, and it's a mind being renewed will know how to live. Isn't that what we want? 
Isn't that what we all want? A mind being renewed by the power of the word of God will know how to live. Look what he says, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul is saying when our minds are renewed, we're able to properly assess everything and to choose what conforms to the will of God. Paul could have been teaching straight from Proverbs chapter 2. Can I read this to you? I want you to see the, the connection between the renewing of the mind and the living out of God's will, the knowing of his will. My son, if you receive my words, renewing the mind, treasure up my commandments with you, making your, your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, that's renewing in the mind. Now look at the response. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Then you're going to know how God wants you to live. And find the knowledge of God that we've been so desperately praying for. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity. Listen, and then you're going to know what path to walk. It all begins with the renewing of the mind, the testing and discerning, the trying and approving of God's good, perfect, pleasing will, the living it out. And as you live it out, it becomes, be, begins to settle into your hearts that there can be no better life than this. Friends, that is exactly what happened in Johnny Erickson Tata's life. If you don't know Johnny Erickson, in 1967, she dove into a body of water and went straight down and hit her head on a stump. And for the rest of her life, and to this day, she's been a quadriplegic. She said this in an interview. Will you listen to this? Because it's going to drive home what I'm telling you that Paul is saying. She says, only God knows why I was paralyzed. Maybe he knew I'd be ultimately happier serving him. I wouldn't change my life for anything. I feel privileged. That was a woman who when the accident first happened, she was bitterly resentful to God. But the word of God renewed day by day her mind, transforming her life, freeing her from what the world would want her to think of God, and giving her a fully committed life of worship and service by which she has impacted millions of people today. The will of God is a good life. What do I mean by that? I mean what Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. You want to know what kind of a, a life to live that's good? He's already told you. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? The will of God produces a good life. The will of God produces an acceptable life, Paul says. You know, that's the same word from verse one, which means, again, extraordinarily pleasing. A spotless, unblemished, 
extraordinarily pleasing sacrifice is the one who places himself or herself on the altar and says, God, for you and you only, do with me what you will. I'm yours. And I will not wait until you give me instructions. I will walk the path of righteousness now, your will, because it's good, extraordinarily pleasing, and perfect. See, as we test and approve and live out God's will, it will produce in us a life that God is pleased with. Ephesians says this, look carefully then how you walk. Friends, look carefully how you walk. But look at where Paul connects it. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Here it is, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You see, the will of the Lord is connected directly to being careful how we walk. Walk the paths that are good, pleasing, and perfect. Clearly laid out in Scripture. So I get laid off in life from my job. I've got some options in front of me. And here's option A. Option A is going to be a good salary. But I'm not going to see my family very much. But man, I'm going to make a lot of money and I'm going to be finally secure and I don't have to worry about this fear again. Option B is it's a little less than I made before. But I'm going to be home with my wife and my children. I'm going to be able to be the dad and the husband that I need to be. Here's option C. It's a little less. I'll be home with my parents, but I got to work on Sunday, so I'm never going to be worshiping again. Now you tell me which one of those is good, pleasing, and perfect to the Lord. The world will tell you the money. It's not what God's Word's going to tell you. You see, these intersections in life are everywhere. And if we're going to sit down and wait for God to broadcast His specific instructions, you're a paralyzed believer. He's already told you how to live good, pleasing, and perfect to Him. It's the renewing in the mind. Do not, do not de- neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. What's His will? That we share. That we do good always. Walk as children of light. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. What is pleasing to the Lord is to discern which path I can walk and still be in the light. not only that the will of God gives us a good life and not only that the will of God gives us an extraordinarily pleasing life but friends finally the will of God gives us a perfect life God's will is perfect you know what that word means it's used in a few different ways here's one way it means that the the word of God in scripture is accurate or correct Like you take a measurement that is accurate and correct. That's not what it means here. Another way that it means 
is that it's well fitted to an end like the pieces of a puzzle. But here's what it means here. It has a different meaning. It means it's something that has attained to its full destiny and completion. That's what it means here. The will of God can give us a life that can attain to its full destiny and completion. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus looked at God's will as being what was supremely satisfying in order to complete his mission. Friends, can I ask you this as we begin to wind down? Do you really, really, convicted level really, believe that God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect regardless of your circumstance. Because until the Word of God renews your mind and transforms your life in order to test and approve, try and get approval for, live and love God's will, we will be paralyzed. We will not live it out, and our lives will not reach goodness, extraordinarily pleasing to God and perfect. You remember William Tyndale? You know, the church, the Catholic church, continued to grow in opposition to him. They were threatened by his work of translating the entire Bible for the masses to have access to. Because if the common people, us, were to hold in our hands the scripture, then the church is going to lose its authority in interpreting it. That was why the Catholic Church responded the way they did. And Tyndale was put into prison for a year and a half. And during that time, this was God's good, perfect, acceptable plan for his life. Because during that time, he led the prison keeper to Christ. And better than that, the prison keeper then went and got his daughter, and he, she came in, and Tyndale led her to Christ. And better than that, not only the prison keeper and his daughter, but others in his family kept bringing them to this guy stuck in prison, and Tyndale would teach them the word of God, and they would come to know Jesus. Until 1536 when he was marched out and tied to a stake, strangled by a hangman, and then burned in the fire by the decree of the emperor, but not before crying out from the stake, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. If you're holding an English Bible in your hands, it's because William Tyndale placed himself on the altar of God all of who he was in life and in death, holy, exclusively for God, God, whatever you want to do in my life, it's yours. And he was extraordinarily pleasing to God. And the fruit of his life is impacting you as I speak. That's a man committed to worship. Do not conform to this world. Don't let it squeeze you into its mold. It hates God. 
But be renewed every day in the Word of God. Let it change your thinking and let the truth of God's Word drive and power its way to your heart where you will live differently, able to come to crossroads and intersections and decisions in your life and not sit down waiting for God to broadcast His will, but looking deep in the Word of God, knowing this path is good, pleasing, and perfect, and get walking and serving and doing the works that God's created you to do. That's what Paul's saying. That is committed worship. That's a life of service, amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. It is so powerful. It is so liberating. It is so freeing. It's so beautiful. It's so accurate. Lord, I pray that we would be people of God that take seriously the need and the responsibility to renew our minds through your word. There's no other need for anything else to renew our thinking. Your word is powerful, living and active, able to drive down all the way to the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts and reveal for us what needs to change and empower us to a life of godliness. Lord, I pray that we would be given, Lord, the love for your will, that we would want to do your will more than our own will. We would empty ourselves of our own will to do yours. Lord, we would test and discern, try and approve, live and love your will and know the path that we must take, the good, pleasing, and perfect path, and the life that emerges from walking in your will. God is supremely satisfying. May we learn it and live it and put it into practice today. In Jesus' name, amen.